Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. Welcome those of you online, our online campus. We're glad that you're here today. It has been a great week, as Pastor Chris said, about um, our eight days of prayer. We have our final night tonight, 7 o'clock. We invite you back for the big finish. Um, Today, we're continuing our series called Leaving Smallville. It's been a really powerful word, prophetic thought, and uh, we believe it's going to help all of us, and we believe it's the word of the Lord. So um, today's message in going along with that, I call it God the Magnanimous. Now, for some of you that are newer, you may not know that, uh, you know, I I like words. I I, I study words. I enjoy words. Um, I was raised by wolves. No, I wasn't raised by wolves. I was raised by teachers. I was raised by two teachers. My father has a PhD. My mother has a master's degree. And they were both teachers. My dad was a college professor. My mom was elementary school. I couldn't get away with anything in school because they knew all my teachers. And my parents are both kind of, especially my dad, we hear words sometimes and we call them Bert words. That's my dad's name, Bert Perenchi. We call them Bert words because Bert words are words that the rest of us have to look up. (laughs) But one word that's resonated with me for, gosh, 20 years or so is the word magnanimous or magnanimity, which is easy for me to say. I want to kind of drill down into it today because it's so important. You're never going to get beyond the condition of your heart. And that's what magnanimity is. Being magnanimous is a heart condition, not a a bad thing. We're going to talk about it. God, the magnanimous. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, is where we've begun. Uh, two weeks ago, dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. I want to weave in 1 Kings and Luke chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 4 says this, and I love this, verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart. That's the essence of the meaning of magnanimous. God gave him largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. Finally, Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says this, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. The Passion Translation is this way, the one who faithfully manages the little he has been given will be promoted and trusted with greater responsibilities. But those who cheat with the little they've been given will not be considered trustworthy to receive more. 
Let's pray together one more time. Father God, we can't understand your word without your enlightenment. Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our heart today and would you give us magnanimity as a gift? As you gave it to Solomon, give us the largeness of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God wants to do some great things in our generation. The problem is, we limit a limitless God by the way we carry him inside of us. Last week, we talked about new horizons. We, our whole month, we're talking about expansion versus containment. Listen, everything God wants to do is about expanding his kingdom through you. In order to expand his kingdom, he's got to expand you. He's got to enlarge your capacity, enlarge your love, enlarge your wisdom and knowledge, but he also wants to enlarge your heart, the way you think, the way you see the world. We talked last week about two kingdoms in conflict, and we said that prayer is the vehicle you drive out of Smallville. That's how you get out, prayer. And that's why this week has been so important. Be here tonight if you can at seven o'clock. It'll be great. You know, dealing with managing and leading people, some of the hardest things you'll ever do. Dealing with people. Anybody in customer service or sales or management, you have to deal with irate customers or <clears throat> people that want to come and not give the compliment. They want to come and it's always about what's wrong. You know, it's always about the, the, the negative thing. And I tell you, it can be so tough. Some of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life, so stressful at times to deal with people. You can't control people's feelings can't control their opinions or their reactions to certain situations. Someone once said, if you wanted to look at the Old Testament character study of experiencing the cross, you'd have to examine the life of David. <clears throat> Pardon me. But if you want to look at someone to understand dealing with people, you must study the life of Solomon because he was more than competent as a leader, as a manager, big picture, he was an expert at people. Why? Because when Solomon became king, 2 Chronicles reveals all about his heart to build God a house. He had a heart. His first, the first thing working in his heart was a love for God's house. And he'd inherited this thing from his father David that David wanted to build God a house. And God said, no, there's too much blood on your hands. You've been a warrior I want your son to do it in your place. And so Solomon's first charge from his daddy was, you're gonna build God a temple. You're gonna build a magnificent temple and God's gonna give you the dimensions. And he's gonna give you the materials. <clears throat> Pardon me, he's gonna provide everything for you. And so he put all of his initial energies as a young man and his, all of his efforts were put into this project. It took about 12 years and at the dedication, he personally made an extravagant offering to the Lord, not just from Israel's coffers, but from his own personal fortune as king. He offered 120,000 sheep. You know what it takes to sacrifice 120,000 sheep? This was their way of expressing. And so this, he wanted to go above board. This was extravagant, this was elaborate. And then 22,000 bulls. 
I thought it was interesting we're in 2022 and the 22 kind of felt prophetic to me in that. In the light of this, God's presence came upon him in that place. The Bible says that the glory of God fell as they dedicated that temple and offered those sacrifices, that the glory of God hid that place. So the priests were slain in the spirit. They fell backwards and nobody could enter the holy place. Solomon himself just was shaken by the presence of God. And that night the Lord came to him and, and said, Solomon, this place will never be the same. I will keep my eyes upon it. I'll keep my heart in it. And I'll hear your prayers that come from this place. And he said, I'm so pleased with the extravagance of your offering. Ask me for anything. Tell me anything you want. I've, you, 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 you can have any prayer request that you want. I'm telling you, God always responds to outrageous sacrifice with outrageous miracles. You can't buy a miracle. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, this wasn't about him trying to get God to do anything. This wasn't about manipulating heaven. This was out of his heart. He said, I got to do something bigger than my father did. I got to do something bigger. I am so excited about God's house. I got to do something bigger. Now, this was, this was a huge thing and God was moved. Listen, somebody told me one time, if it doesn't move you to give it, it doesn't move God to receive it. But if it moves heaven, if it moves God, if it moves you, it moves God. God wants to do something so great. And by the way, relax, we're not doing a big second offering today, okay? We're not doing the dedication of the temple. We got all year to build the building, that's coming. But that's, that's not why, so some people always get nervous and suspicious when the pastor mentions anything about an offering or a sacrifice. The sacrifice I'm talking about is you and me and what's in our hearts, not just what's in our wallets or our checkbooks. The Lord led, offered Solomon anything his heart desired. Surprisingly, as, we, as most of you know, Solomon's answer was, I want an understanding heart to lead your people and discernment to know good from evil. That's what I want. God said, you could have anything you want. That's what you want. You're asking for an understanding heart, wisdom and discernment to know good from evil. God, the Bible says, uses the word delight, that God was delighted. You know, when you delight somebody, that's like, you know, there's a place my wife likes in Gainesville for ice cream. It's called Delights. And if you, want, if you want to give a lot of people, if you want to give my son-in-law delight, you give him ice cream. Somebody put a smile on his face. Delightful. The Bible says delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Solomon delighted God. He put a smile on his face. God was pleased and excited and in response, God gave him three specific graces that I listed to you in the text that all work together. Wisdom, understanding, and largeness of heart that we call magnanimity. Everybody say largeness of heart. Largeness of heart. Let me read it again. God gave him three specific graces that all work together. Wisdom, understanding, and largeness of heart we call magnanimity. The greatest revelation of the size of your life comes from within the attitude of your own heart. And that's what a lot of people miss. <clears throat> they wanna blame circumstances or look at certain situations 
They want to blame someone or something or some moment that something messed up as the reason why their lives stall out, why they got stuck in one place and never progressed any longer. But I'm telling you, it's about the size of your heart. It's about the attitude of your heart. One historian wrote this, what you may not realize is that when he received the throne from David, Solomon may have only been 12 years old. Now, others, other historians, because the Bible doesn't specifically say, other historians believe he was closer to 20, maybe, a, but he was still a teenager or in that area of his life. <clears throat> but this one guy said, he said, I believe with all my heart he was 12. What does it take for a 12-year-old to be placed into a situation of promotion where what is in his heart is gonna be revealed instantly. And I'm telling you, when you set your heart on God's house, like Solomon did, God will take care of your house. God will take care of your heart. God will take care of your life. What does it take a man, especially a young man, to choose largeness of heart over fame, fortune, and power. Come on, 12-year-olds, they're gonna, I want the latest Madden video game. I want, I want, I, I want stuff. Bring me, you know, my, my oldest grandson is 12. He'll be 13 in a few months and that's kind of freaking me out. But I was telling him the other day, I said, I, I, said, I just read something that Solomon may have been 12 years old. That's your age. And he became king of Israel and was challenged with all these tasks and challenges of building. I said, what if, what, if, uh, what if the family got together and we decided you're the new senior pastor of Now Church and you got to help build the legacy building? He goes, oh. <laughs> he, said, he didn't know what to say. But that's the kind of thing that it kind of resonated with me. And I thought, what kind of character was in Solomon that he, that he set his heart on the house of God. That was, that was the first thing he said. I wanna, I wanna build a church. And then when they built the church, he said, I've gotta bring. I mean, do you know how many offerings he must have, of his own personal fortune he must have given. The Bible actually says how much his father gave. It was like millions and millions of dollars worth. I think the last tabulation or something of, of what David gave in his offering before he died toward building the temple amounts today and all the gold, silver, and all the things he gave us, it's like tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. And Solomon comes up there. But then at the time when they dedicate it, now he just wants to give the sacrifice and honor God. Largeness of heart. He had such wisdom as you know. When two women brought a little baby, they were fighting over this child, each saying, this baby's mine. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. Solomon had the immediate knowing from heaven. Well, here's how we're going to solve it. Somebody get me a sword. We're going to cut the baby in two, and you can each have half. And the woman says, okay. And the real mother said, no, no. Don't kill the child. Let her have him. And Solomon said, you're the mother. You're the real mama. 
wisdom. Twelve years old, possibly, that he starts the temple. Twelve years it took to build the temple. He might have only been 24 years old when the building was finished. This magnificent structure that the world is still talking about and wanting to rebuild. In asking for a magnanimous life, God gave him all the resources he needed for everything in that life, including the things he didn't ask for. Celebrity status, financial blessing and wealth and worldwide influence that lasts even till today. Could you make that same choice? Could you choose magnanimity, which is take the high road when everybody's attacking you. Take the high road. The antonym for magnanimity or magnanimous would be pettiness, mean-spirited, selfish, living a small and stingy life. My friends, generosity is more than material or financial giving. It's selflessness. It's putting yourself last, putting others first. It's just, it's just about thinking about others and giving kindness and just seeing what others are going through, that empathy. Magnanimity forgives and releases the mean-spirited pettiness of others. That's why Jesus could say, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Why? Because he's calling on us to have a heart change, not just a behavior modification. He's calling us on to have, to have his heart, to have the heart of God. <clears throat> you know, the world system is dog eat dog, in case you hadn't noticed. Chew you up and spit you out. The media of today loves to make people famous overnight, then destroy them later on for their own entertainment and high ratings. I saw it time and time again when we were living in Orlando. I see it time and time again, even today. It happened in the life of Martin Luther King Jr. And it happened in the life of a man named Billy Graham. I read a story recently. I want to read it to you. I kind of compiled some things here. 1949, there was a large crusade in Los Angeles. It was the first great evangelistic campaign of Billy Graham, 1949. It was organized by the Christian group Christ for Greater Los Angeles. The campaign was scheduled for three weeks, but became extended to eight weeks. During the campaign, Billy Graham spoke to 350,000 people in eight weeks. By the end, 3,000 of them decided to give their lives to Christ. Now, I, want you, I don't know about you, but 3,000 people getting saved out of 350,000, I don't even think today we would consider a move of God or revival. We'd be thankful for the 3,000. Don't misunderstand me. <clears throat> but that's not a big... I mean, we can remember the end of Billy Graham's crusades and half the audience came forth every meeting. Half, right? 3,000 out of 350,000 gave their lives. It was subsequently described as the greatest revival since the time of Billy Sunday, which I don't have time to describe him. But after this crusade, Graham became a national figure in the United States. The Christ for Greater Los Angeles Committee scheduled a series of revival meetings in Los Angeles in 1949. The committee had decided to invite Billy Graham as the preacher. Crusade started on September 25th, 1949. 
It was scheduled for three weeks between September 25th and October 17th. It was organized by more than a thousand prayer groups, a thousand praying groups, praying churches got together. These groups regularly prayed for the crusade's success. A circus tent had six, that held 6,000 people was erected in the parking lot and the tent was enlarged to 9,000 and was still too small. The last meeting took place on the 20th of November when Billy Graham preached, I don't believe that any man can solve his problems of life without Jesus Christ. He said all across Europe, people know that time is running out. Now that Russia has the atomic bomb, the world is in an armament race driving us to destruction. The interest of local and national newspapers was peaked when Stuart Hamblin, the number one national radio star known as a singing cowboy, announced on air that he had gotten saved at Billy Graham's crusade. His conversion was followed by that of former Olympian and prisoner of war, Louis Zamperini, which he just passed away in 2014 at 90, age of 97. <clears throat> Jim Voss, a friend of mobster Mickey Cohen. Harvey Fritz, a famous actor, was another celebrity conversion. After Hamblin's conversion, famed newspaper owner William Randolph Hearst sent a telegram to all his newspaper editors around the world with two words, two of the most famous words in Christian history, Puff Graham. Puff Graham, it meant build him up, build him up, talk about Billy Graham, get stories out there. Something's happening with this young man that had this one crusade. Nobody had ever heard of him until Puff Graham. As a result, within five days, Billy Graham gained national coverage. With such media attention, the crusade event went on for eight weeks, five weeks longer than planned. Graham became a national figure. Henry Luce, the founder, influential founder of Time Magazine, Life Magazine, and Fortune Magazine, also promoted Graham with a cover at, his, at this time. They didn't Time Magazine's Man of the Year before there was one. And here was Billy Graham, this young man in his 20s. Featured on the cover by 1954. According to uh, this writer, Hearst and Luce supported Graham because of his anti-communist message. But for whatever reason, due to the Los Angeles crusade, evangelicalism was introduced for the first time as an influential force in American culture. Up to that time, the church was dormant, quiet, sat back and just let the world go by. We held to our churches, but we didn't speak the truth. We didn't even talk about Jesus, but this brought a shift, 1949 through that time. However, I heard the story years later that during that time, right after that time, Billy Graham became so popular that rag magazines and scandal magazines had unscrupulous reporters trying to set Billy Graham up for a scandal. Even going so far as to hiding a young scantily dressed woman in Reverend Graham's hotel room closet in California after a crusade one night, along with a photographer. As he returned to change his clothes, the woman allegedly jumped out and tried to throw him onto the bed with a photographer taking and flashing pictures with his camera. But the truth prevailed and something came out of it called the Billy Graham rule, where he said, I will never be alone 
with another woman behind closed doors except for my wife. That Billy Graham rule continues with a lot of ministers today, including myself. It's a principle that got inside. Billy Graham quickly adopted all of these, uh, not just mottos, but credos that he went on to live by and live a scandal-free life. Billy Graham's largeness of heart carried him through promotion and fame and also through the traps of scandal. It's important that we understand. There's an anonymous quote I found. said this, it doesn't matter how strong or capable you are, if you don't have a big heart, you will not succeed. How do you measure someone's heart? Your life reveals the size of your heart. And God wants you to live a big life. And I'm not saying a frivolous life, but I'm saying extravagant in love, extravagant in the way you see the world. God is both magnificent and magnanimous, choosing to love and save the very world that rejected him and rejected his son, Jesus. Philippians 4.23 says this, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. Previous verses in Hebrews, excuse me, Proverbs 4 are all about the importance of your relationship with the Bible, the word of God. And then the original Hebrew thought in that verse, as I kind of did a word study on it, is simply this. Assign yourself to guard duty over your own heart attitude more than anything else that might be guarded. Because out of your heart is formed the borders and boundaries of your life. Literally, a map of the road to God's best life for you is laid out based on what's going on in your heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Remember, the smallness you feel comes from within you. Remember the Grinch? His heart was way too small. But after something happened, that heart began to grow. Something needs to take place inside of us where we see bigger, dream bigger, pray bigger. But remember, if you're faithful with a little bit, God can trust you with more. If he can trust you with more, he can trust you with much. Finally, this. Deuteronomy chapter eight. Pastor Gail was talking about Deuteronomy the other night, verse, uh, chapter 28. But Deuteronomy eight talks about two times of testing for the children of Israel. Number one, a season of lack where they had just enough to get by. And secondly, a season of prosperity or abundance where they had more than enough as they came into the promised land. And Deuteronomy 8 talks about these things and says this, <clears throat> verse 2, Deuteronomy 8, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? To humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. It goes on to say that, that God may show you that man doesn't live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We live by what God says. Today, your spirit is eating as I'm preaching, whether you realize it or not. Your spirit is eating up the word and chewing on that word. But if you're going through lack right now, if you're going through a season of lack, remember this too shall pass, but the purpose of it is to reveal what's going on inside of you. The purpose of lack season is to prepare you for abundance season. Here's the caution, Deuteronomy 8 verse 11. Beware of dog. No, not beware of dog. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, verse 12, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And the next few verses just describe all these blessings of brooks and flows and streams and food and abundant life. Beware, verse 17 says, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. The message says this way, that you come to the place in your heart where you say to yourself, I did it by myself. I'm rich and it's all mine. Verse 18, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Everybody say that with me. It is he who gives me power, gives me the ability to be blessed, to produce income, to do great things, to build his house. In Jesus' name. That's the key. That's the right heart on which to build a big life. It's great that Pastor Lindsay led us in a song. You can help me, PL, if you don't mind. It's great that PL led us in a song about the foundation. Our foundation in God as we started the church service today. But I want to say to you, what's the foundation of the attitude of your heart? Magnanimity will transform every part of your life. Magnanimity, largeness of heart, seeing the best, not the worst, seeing the big picture instead of the minutia and the details where we get blocked up and locked up. God wants you to have a larger heart, a bigger heart, and out of that springs every other part of your life. Quit comparing yourself with everybody else. Quit focusing on what you don't have or what you lost during COVID season or the last few years. It doesn't matter what you had. It matters where you are and where you stand and how you are in here. Because if you can come through these tough moments the last couple years with a sweet spirit and a trusting heart in God, a magnanimous, large heart, then I prophesy you're coming into a great place of abundant life in Jesus' name. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, we give you grace, uh, praise and, and for your grace. Lord, we give you praise. We give you, we give you glory. We honor you because we want to be like you. You said you're transforming us into the image of your son. There's never been a bigger life, a more magnanimous life than the life of Jesus. They could hang on a cross, looking at the people who've spat on him, beaten him, mocked him, and say, 
Father, forgive them for they don't know what they've done. Let it be in us that those who wrong us, that those who have used us or abused us, that we can, with a full heart, with a real, genuine, sincere heart, say to you, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. And I forgive and I release in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment, maybe you're at home watching us on our online campus, maybe you're in the room. I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you right now. Quit waiting for something else to happen. Quit waiting for something to change. Quit waiting for your ship to come in. When you're the one keeping it out at sea by your own attitude, open your heart. Be magnanimous. Invite God in. Invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. Invite him to be master of your heart. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever really fully given the God the keys to every part of your life, every part of your heart? Or have you reserved some places inside because you're embarrassed or you're ashamed or because you refuse to open up those areas? I'm calling you now to open up those chambers of your heart and of your life and let the King of glory come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. Mighty is his name. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus or you've somehow, when life hit and people messed you around, you suddenly or slowly, either way, just left that priority of love for God or love for his house, love for his people or love for his word. It's time to repent right now. He's a merciful God and his mercy triumphs over judgment. Open your heart and cry out to him and say, Lord, Lord Jesus, forgive me for stinginess, for small thinking, small living, small, small, small. Help me, Lord. Enlarge my life by enlarging the insides, the attitude of my own heart. Make me a bigger person. Don't get, let me get lost in the pettiness of others. Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In Jesus' name. If that's you, you say, Pastor, that's for me today. Would you just lift your hand right now if you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need prayer. I need prayer in this area because I realize that I've been, I, I've been living like that. If you just lift your hand up right now, just for a moment, I want to pray for those of you, hands raised, hearts open. I know many hands are raised right now in this room, maybe at home as well. Father, I pray for every person responding to the, the sound of your voice, the sound of your word today as it comes forth to enlarge them. Father, I ask you to move in their lives, move in them, for them, and through them to reveal the capacity of godliness in Jesus' name. Make them bigger on the inside. Make them magnanimous in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. If you prayed with me or you raised your hand right there, I'm believing God is meeting you right where you are. I'm believing if you open your, yourself up to be ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, he'll do it. He said, I'll never cast you out. No matter what you've done, he loves you. He loves you and he accepts you just like you are. Can you say amen? Did you get anything today? Come on, put your hands together. Let's praise him. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you.